when you and I were growing up, if I want to look something up, I'd have to wait till Saturday when I went to the library. Then I'd dig out this like the world book or like Encyclopedia Britannica for kids and look up the answer to this question 20 years ago, right? There'd be no up-to-date information about things like pop culture, quite frankly. Welcome to the Medical Dads Podcast, a parenting podcast by two dads who happen to be medical doctors. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dr. Stuart Harmon, a pediatric emergency room physician and father of four from Ottawa, Ontario. I want to be in the podcast. Daddy, do you know what you're doing? Can I play a game on your computer? Daddy, what's mommy? And I'm your other co-host, Dr. David Shu, a family doctor from Toronto, Ontario. Welcome aboard. All right, Dr. Harmon, we're back for another episode of Medical Dads. That we are. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. How about you? How are you feeling? Oh, I'm thriving here. Spectacular. <laughs> no trace of anxiety whatsoever. No, terrible. This is, then you're not the right subject for this podcast. <laughs> Guess not. But I bet by the time we're finished, I'll be having a sense of foreboding and anxiety. <laughs> well, you know what they say. Anxiety can be contagious. It can spread like a virus sometimes. <laughs> uh, interesting analogy. <laughs> so we had this whole episode planned out that we were going to, you know, once in a while, Dr. Harmon and I like to get our medical hats on and talk medicine. And then we had it penciled in that we were going to do an episode on anxiety and mental health. And we had laid out this extremely boring looking episode of, you know, how do you diagnose anxiety? How do you treat anxiety? What are the symptoms to watch for? Blah, 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 blah. All the stuff you can get in a medical textbook that you would never read even if you own said textbook. <laughs> so I decided we're going to change things up a little bit and we're going to talk a little bit about anxiety, but in a slightly different way. We're going to talk about the anxieties that are plaguing us as parents and maybe as children also as we move through what is now month 11 of COVID. <laughs> That's right. So hopefully this will actually be more fun, uh, more entertaining than just simply a clinical lecture on, uh, on recognizing anxiety and the treatments <laughs> for it. Absolutely. Now, let's talk a bit about what, we're, what the state of the world is right now, right? Like, it's been 11 months. You and I are living in cities that are on, you know, varying degrees of lockdown. There's talk in parts of Canada that parts of Canada are opening up more. Parts of Canada are, parts of Canada are threatening to close. You know, down south, they hit 400,000 deaths in the U.S. a few, week, a few days ago. Like 100,000 people dying of COVID in the U.S. That's, that's a scary number when you think about it. it. It is. So in truth, for the last 11 months, more than at any other time in our lifetime, we people have had reason to be anxious, you know, and understandably anxious, right? All those times in the past when someone was doing something that made them seem neurotic, like washing their hands excessively, <laughs> you know, like wiping down the handles of their car door and stuff like that. That stuff's all normal now, right? We used to think those people were messed up. Now that's normal. Stockpiling toilet paper, completely normal now, right? It's not a sign of disease. Washing your hands till they bleed, totally normal. Being afraid to <laughs> leave the house because of germs, that's encouraged. So we are living in different times, that's for sure. How dare you come to the school with a runny nose, right? <laughs> that's right. You tried to tough it out and show up for work? 
Shame. For shame. <laughs> yeah, so we are now living in a day and age where now the, the thing that's making people anxious is that they're having to work from home for 12 hours, right? That's making them nervous, right? That people are breathing down their... Because there's nothing... Everything that we used to be nervous about has now been normalized. Those are all <laughs> normal things. So... This is a very difficult thing because we, before COVID, like pre-2020, we were already living in the age of anxiety. Like many writers, many articles were written about how, you know, our society consists of nervous wrecks and that we're raising a future generation of paranoid, neurotic freaks. Yeah. I mean, this was a well-accepted thing, going back even to when we were in school, right? And if you look at the literature and the general discussion of people, it's that it's even harder to be a child and it's harder to be a parent today than it was 20 years ago, yeah. not to mention 40 years ago. And on top of all this, COVID hits. And now I don't know where the new normal is going to be. It's interesting to speculate because like you said, the, the discussion was always, well, now with millennials and the generation after millennials, they're being raised without resilience. Uh, their parents mm -hmm. do everything for them. And there's helicopter parents, snowplow parents, tiger parents, all these annoying labels that people give these different parenting styles, which all are like boil down to the same things that parents are very overprotective. Um, right. uh, and yeah, it's this concept that there's no adversity that children have to face. Suddenly COVID hits and any way you slice it, now your kids are having to face some adversity here. So who knows? Maybe Mother Nature stepped in and said, no resilience, huh? Well, I'll throw them a few challenges and make a new generation of superhumans. <laughs> They'll be able to withstand anything if they live through their teenage years. If only it was that straightforward, because the other possibility is that we are insulating and overprotecting and over, you know, breathing down our parents' back more than ever now, right? Because of the virus, right? We're at home with our kids for endless day after day after day in a way that seems, you know, not only inhumane, but probably maladaptive. And now we're so hands-on with everything that they do, right? Like the parents have now replaced the teacher. They've replaced the piano teacher. They've replaced the soccer instructor, right? They're, they're now the swim coach. They're doing everything, right? And that can also mean the overprotective level is going higher, right? Yeah. So there's two ways to cut that cake. Yeah, that's true. What's going to happen to the children who, especially the young children, who have never actually left their house in a year? <laughs> <laughs> then they have to go out and enter the, the, the big wide world out there. <laughs> there's also just the... Uh, the aspect of anxiety where part of what makes people anxious is when they don't have control and when they don't mm -hmm. know what's happening next. And right now, even for adults, we do not know what is happening next on so many levels. The last mm -hmm. time we recorded, uh, I said, oh, yeah, we're in our strictest stage of lockdown yet. And since that time, Ottawa has found yet a new level of lockdown. <laughs> they, they issued a stay-at-home order. They actually said, like, we do not want you to leave your house for anything unless you can demonstrate that it is absolutely essential. <laughs> so is that an actual thing? Like, I've heard about this, like, even in Toronto, but I haven't officially heard it. So we're kind of like, are we allowed to walk to the park or not? Like, this is a question that parents are asking now, as if we weren't nervous enough. <laughs> well, we stopped short of having an actual curfew lockdown like they have in, uh, in Quebec, in the province next to ours, and uh, how they have it in some European countries where if you're stopped on the street and can't demonstrate that you're out for an essential reason, then you could be given a fine. 
Um, like the man who was caught mm-hmm. playing Pokemon uh, out of the streets. And that when they asked him what he's doing out there, he couldn't <laughs> lie and say he was on his way to get medical supplies. He just told them straight up, oh, I'm hunting Pokemon. And they find him something like 200 <laughs> pounds, which is like 400 Canadian dollars. I mean, we there's this provision that says you are allowed to go outside for exercise, right? Which exercise can be interpreted in any number of ways, right? <laughs> like when you're with your children, almost any sort of movement outside of a television screen <laughs> setting is considered exercise at this point. My right? family if, doctor tells me no. None of that counts towards my <laughs> exercise as an adult. But, I'm a family doctor. My, me and my wife, we consider it exercise if we just walk from the downstairs to the upstairs at the end of our Netflix show. I should get you as my family doctor. I went to my family doctor after not having seen a doctor in more than a decade. And so they're doing their screening intake interview type thing. And they asked me, you know, do you do regular exercise? And before I can even answer, and they say, and chasing my kids around, and they made the signal for air quotes, does not count as exercise. <laughs> So what is a one to do living in this generation? That is the question that we're basically asking. I I read at the beginning of COVID that this is going to be in many ways the defining event of our genera- of our children's generation. Like they're going to grow up as generation C because COVID is going to have such an effect on their life. And this was in the first couple of weeks of the virus yeah. when it seemed this is just a lot of hyperbole. But now we're into month 11, yeah. looking on at maybe month 24. You know, the, this has, still has a ways to go. And you look at the economic devastation, you know, you know, the number of people who've died, the whole package. Like, I think it's probably pretty fair to say Generation C is an accurate term. Like, this is going to have huge ramifications for all of us and our kids for for years to come there's so many things we can worry about as a result yeah. right so how do we where do we go from here this is what i wanted to get into today oh, yeah it's be interesting i mean it's it's very theoretical i think somebody has been just waiting to coin the term generation c <laughs> <laughs> the day they announced a lockdown the person said, oh yeah i'm going to be the one who calls it generation c which we kind of need because we already had Generation X, and then people called Generation Y, and then people started using the term Generation Z, or, well, I guess in most parts of the world, Z. Uh, and then they started saying millennials, and they were out of letters to use. So it was either <laughs> going to start being Greek letters, um, or somebody was going to think of something clever like Generation C. But I don't know if I'm 100% convinced that, uh, that for my children, this year of COVID is going to be the defining event of their entire life. Although I do agree that COVID is going to be impacting us in many ways uh, that we can't even predict right now for decades to come. Well, given that events that define your entire life or that define a generation tend to be negative events. That's right. Wars, disasters, tsunamis. Let's hope that this is the defining event of this generation. Like we cannot go through this again before our children reach adulthood. Like that is one of my anxieties, right? Like. Now, now that we've seen that this virus can happen, yeah. then it can happen again. Like I grew up in a generation where nothing like this remotely had ever happened. Yeah. Right. So if you suggested to me, like, you know, you should really stock up on toilet paper. Like you need more than like five bags in your house just in case. You know, I would have said, no, we don't. Like stop being crazy. If we need it, I'll go to the grocery store and pick it up the day I need it. Right. You can still say that and now. now. Like... <laughs> Actually, if more people said that now, we wouldn't have had that toilet paper problem back in March. I don't know. I still, I think now it is a good idea to have some bags of this stuff in your house because as you have just indicated, there is a stay at home order where you live. (laughs) That's right. 
uh, yeah, we'll see if this becomes Generation C or if we just call it Generation Netflix. <laughs> so, and the other thing that I, I'll point out is that in this generation and with these anxieties, most of the anxieties that parents are having are not specifically about COVID, right? They're not right. about, am I going to get the virus? If I get the virus, am I going to get sick? Fortunately, the number of people who have had to deal with that particular anxiety is low, right? It's a small subset of the population that's actually caught the virus and the virus is not super virulent. So it's not like everyone that gets the virus is going to get super sick. Most people pull through. So the anxieties that we're talking about are these like ancillary anxieties, anxieties that have come up as a result of COVID, but not directly because of illness so much. Yeah. It's more about the societal effect of the virus, which is enormous. Yeah. Yeah, especially for um, for parents, right? I mean, I suppose mm-hmm. from what we've been reading, one in a thousand Americans has had to actually you know, be directly affected by the virus and that's how many it's killed. Not even mm-hmm. infected, but killed. But for parents, you, you really aren't having a problem where a parent's biggest issue is that their child gets COVID uh, and, mm-hmm. and dies from it. You know, it's rare for children to get it compared to adults. And when they do get it, they generally actually don't get that sick. But there are all these other things to worry about. And maybe we can sort of go through that list a little bit and talk about each each of the things. All right. Well, the first question that comes to mind when we talk about this is the worry about my child falling behind, right? And falling behind in different ways. So the first way is my child is falling behind in school because of COVID. This is a legitimate Chinese-Canadian worry (laughs) about COVID. This is preeminent on the top of our list, right? Like, and I think it has some validity, right? Because our children are not being taught the regular way anymore. They're not going to school. Like some people did go to school for a few months and it did stop. But most, most kids in, in Ontario, at least were held out of school from March till June. So they missed a good chunk of last year and now they're missing a chunk of this year. It's okay to say, you know what? It's just a small amount of time. It's not a big deal, right? Like, you know, I went to school for 20 years. If you extracted me out of that for a few months at any point, I'm sure we'd be fine. Yeah. But there is must there must be a point where you know you pass a certain tipping point and it does start to matter, right? And I don't know where that point is, but different parents will have different views on this, but at some point every parent is going to get anxious about this issue. Yeah. And uh that there's that issue of falling behind, right? I'm worried my child's going to fall behind. But when you say fall behind it kind of implies that uh other people are ahead and your child mm-hmm. has slid behind. And I, yes. I think uh, for a lot of parents, part of the anxiety is maybe just not recognizing that, hey, look, every parent is going through this. Uh, you know, it's not just your child at school who's being taught poorly <laughs> or who, uh, you know, is, is clearly not absorbing as much information as they would have uh, had they been in real school. It's all mm-hmm. the children. So that, that in that aspect, we're all in it together. But there certainly is um, each individual parent's concern that, you know, am I not doing as much as the other parents? Uh, mm-hmm. you know, is my kid falling behind, uh, not just because school isn't the same, but because school has downloaded a ton more of the responsibility on me and I've got too many yeah. other things going on to, to make four kids, uh, you know, the valedictorian of their class. Or two kids or one kid, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of parents are working or trying to survive the virus financially for their families, right? Yeah. So they can't attend to every one of their child's needs. The way, and the whole point of it was that normally a teacher, you know, and, and their child's peers would be filling in all these gaps that yeah. now a parent needs to fill in 
while doing work in the background, right? Yeah. While keeping their family business running or whatever it is that they do for a living. Absolutely. Yeah. The other, the thing I will say to counter that is that although we kind of like to think, okay, you know, everyone, we're all in this together, you know, it, the virus affects us all. This particular virus has demonstrated right from early on that it does not affect everyone equally. So people who initially were at a disadvantage end up at an even bigger disadvantage once the virus hits. This, the virus is very insidious this way. It's almost like it got programmed in a way to target people who are less well off, right? So if you have financial means, yeah. if you have connections, all of these things suddenly get you further ahead in the line for whatever it is you want, yeah. right? And the, and, the, and the people who are in marginalized groups are further marginalized by this virus. And if you had told me, you know, 20 years ago or, you know, even 10 years ago that a public health issue could be so selective in a way and really, you know, lay to bear all the inequalities of our society, I would have been like, what on earth are you talking about? That makes no sense, right? I would have been like, if there's a flood, everyone gets flooded. Well, clearly my understanding of the world is not accurate because this particular virus really exposes how unfair things are. And so many parents are looking at like, well, this really is not fair. Like I have to work. That person doesn't have to. They can sit at home with their child, right? Yeah. I have to send my kids into a virus-infested school against my wishes because I have no choice. That parent doesn't have to, right? Yeah. I have to take the bus. They have a car that drives them to school, right? Every sort of action has this inequality built into it, right? So true. You know, if, if, if the universe, if, if Mother Nature... If the forces uh, that control these things wanted to be fair, they would have thrown a, a tornado at us. That would have been mm -hmm. that would have been the thing for the last uh, you know year. It would have been random tornadoes because tornadoes <laughs> they're they're fairly unpredictable where they're going to hit. Uh, right. And if a tornado hits your rich house or a tornado hits your poor shanty house, it's going to destroy it like one way or another. <laughs> uh, much uh, very different for uh, COVID where. All right, well, you're all in virtual school now. However, at one house, you've got high-speed internet and a device for every child. At another house, <laughs> you got, well, actually, we don't own a, a, a laptop. Uh, we've never had to use a, a, a webcam before. And so we're trying to do this all through our cell phones. Mm -hmm. And I, I even see this when I do my virtual clinic. Because uh, for, you know, I've talked on the show before about how in the emergency department at Chio, we do run a virtual clinic for people who are too sort of afraid or, to come into the hospital or can't come in or whatever. And so I noticed mm -hmm. that sometimes I zoom in and, yeah, I'm dealing with a family that has a, a laptop and it's so easy to communicate with them more or less because the video is not choppy, the sound quality is fine, and the, mm -hmm. the image, I can sort of see what their child looks like. And then I got another person and when we dial in, I'm like, oh, is this some kind of a joke? <laughs> Like you're talking to me on your cell phone. You're shaking while you're talking to me. Uh, the screen is uh, narrow because you, the, the orientation, you have to hold your phone in. And when you're saying like, yes, and look at my child's rash. I'm like, I can't tell what I'm looking at there. The whole, the whole child looks blotchy and pixelated. And that I realize isn't because yeah. these people just didn't have the foresight to call me on their high definition, uh, you know, Apple monitor. It's because this is the best they have. Some people don't actually have... Uh, a proper laptop webcam setup for for the virtual platforms. Mm -hmm. It's not fair. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you even something like a virtual platform, right? You need you need high bandwidth. You need all this stuff. There are many people that don't have access to this stuff. So most parents, 
fortunately, like Canada in, in 2020 is a fairly, you know, egalitarian society. So most people have access to some of these things in one way, shape or form. Yeah. And I think it's reasonable, you know, for a short period of time for us to, you know, grin and bear it and get through it. Yeah. But as time starts to play out and we enter year two or whatever of the virus, then parents, I think, legitimately start to have this fear that they're going to fall behind, right? And in some cases, the fear might be unfounded because there are people at the top of the food chain that are still having that anxiety. Right. But I, then I think in the majority of cases, there probably is some legit worry, right? You even get into this thing where like, my child may not be falling behind relative to their exact age classmate, right? Yeah. But five years from now, when they enter the workforce or 15 years when they enter the workforce and they're up against people who were older or younger during this virus that didn't have to deal with this virus during their childhood, what will its effect be on them then, right? There's all sorts of ways to think about this question in layers. Yeah, I mean, every age group is affected in different ways, right? So, right. you know, you may be worried that, well, what about my, you know, my kid in grade six or seven right now whose literacy skills aren't as good as somebody mm -hmm. who's in grade nine or 10? Uh, right. Meanwhile, the person whose kids are in high school are just worried about, you know, people who graduated last year were able to, or maybe two years ago, were able to pick up some jobs before everything went into lockdown. Now my kid's yeah. graduating and they, their university course isn't really running. These college programs don't exist the way they did. And the, uh, a lot of these jobs won't be there right. just because of the timing of when they graduated. So I can understand how everybody's worried about that. Right. But I mean, the economy will... It will not leave a vacuum, you know, the, mm -hmm. the workforce will not leave a vacuum. So I'm sure that as things ramp up, you're not going to have a, a, a just a big gap where, oh, you know, everybody born between 2005 and 2010. That's not going to be mm -hmm. a, a group of unemployables who people are like, oh, no, I see your birth date. Forget it. I want somebody who's all the right. younger, older than you. I don't think it's going to actually work out like that. So in the future, there will be a vacuum of jobs and the world will move on and people will adapt, right? But parents have this fear that, you know, my kid didn't learn stuff properly. They took like a two-year break from their learning. They're at a disadvantage. Yeah. To some degree, that is true, right? And we can keep saying, well, it doesn't matter. It's not going to matter. Eventually, you know, you will end up where you need to end up, yeah. right? But at some level, things do happen at certain age groups, right? Like, it's important for a a young, you know, two to four year old to be learning social skills. Like we talked about this in a different episode of the podcast, yes, right? Yeah. They, they need to be talking to other kids at that age to develop understanding of the cues of body language and speaking, right? If you skip that period of time and they're just doing Zoom, it's a legitimate fear that, okay, maybe they're going to be behind socially, right? So it's not even just job-wise or academic-wise, but social development, emotional development, all these things get kind of stunted because of this virus as we enter this duration of it. So true. Yeah, we could, we could keep going down the list because... You know, really and truly academics, my my kind of impression of the uh, elementary school system before all this anyway was that it's full of redundancy. You know, <laughs> when you think of your own childhood, you know, did you need to be stellar all the way through uh, grades one through eight to end up in the same place you were if you just figured it out and got your act together by the end of grade eight? Probably didn't make much of a difference. Um, but all the other things that uh, kids are missing out that are causing some stress for parents. So we mm -hmm. can, So let's move on to some of those things. All right. A lot of parents are wondering about screen time. Like, initially when the virus started, it was like, okay, kids have nothing to do. Let's let them watch a little bit more TV, a little bit more Netflix. Now we're into, like, year two of this thing. 
at what point is the screen time going to be an issue? Like a lot of parents in general were very weary of screen time. <laughs> but now your kids are on Zoom for like four hours a day, eight hours a day, right? <laughs> and then the kids, you know, I've, I've had patients tell me like, you know, their children are, you know, on, t- on the screen for 10 hours a day, 11 hours a day as a thing now, right? Because even after school, they watch some TV to relax and unwind, which normally would have been a normal part of a child's day, but now seems excessive. But then even me looking at it as a physician, I'm saying... You know, you really should get your kids doing something else. But then I realized it's winter. There's a blizzard. Like, really, what else is there to do? <laughs> right. If you it, it, once again, it's another one of these like inequality things. Like some people live in an apartment. Like, what else can you do? There's a lockdown order in the city. I mean, you could read books instead. <laughs> yeah. You know how far that suggestion gets whenever I whenever I tell my kids that. Oh, I'm so bored. What can I do? read a book oh it's like you just like it's just like you maimed them again right I'll, I'll mention read a book i might as well say like why don't you look at your rock collection for a few hours well you know it's it's totally fair the the concern that parents have about okay my kid's getting too much screen time and like you outlined there's so many reasons why now it's so much easier for them to be exposed to screens even after the school day is done and I, you know, I think to address that, uh, mm. on the one hand, I'd say, you know, what you need to do is actually uh, tell your kids, yeah, you can't use a screen anymore for today. Right? Mm. Like, yes, you're bored and all that kind of stuff, but people lived in small apartments before there was such a thing as a television, and they had to deal with it. Uh, so mm. you're going to have to deal with it. Um, so you could, you, I think sometimes people actually do need to do that, um, and you will, you know, be amazed at how many other things the kids can start to find to do if you just tell them you know that's bored you got to go deal with being bored you've got toys you've got books go do something um mm-hmm. and then if you can throw them out in your backyard if you're lucky enough to have that then great so that's part of it and then i think the other part of it though is people giving themselves a little bit of uh, more leeway or latitude uh, about the screen time thing right saying yes mm-hmm. pre-covid i would not let them watch this much television or have this much screen time but uh, uh yeah risk benefit all weighed together them watching some netflix for an hour after they've finished their schoolwork on a weekday which i used to not allow you know is probably less harm to them than uh just being upset and you know angry and miserable you being upset and strangling your children (laughs) that's right yeah exactly did i say them being upset i meant me being upset (laughs) <laughs> but you know where the screen time issue is a bit more of a is an anxiety for me or a bit more of a worry for me. It's not just the amount of screen time they have, but it's the way they now are using the screen unsupervised. Because mm-hmm. before this, I mean, even at the beginning of this, um, when my kids were using a computer, they still were using it uh, in front of me. You know, they were using my computer. Um, mm-hmm. They didn't have their own computers to use. I talked on one of the previous podcasts about how we bought Chromebooks uh, in anticipation of this lockdown. My, my wife had predicted that we were, because my kids were in sort of school, right? Uh, and unlike your kids that have been on the full out of school virtual home for this mm-hmm. whole time, my kids had gone back to school when that was allowed. Um, but then just before Christmas, my wife was saying, you know what? We're going to need some Chromebooks or something for the kids to, to use if they're all back in school or out of school simultaneously and having to, to work from home. Mm-hmm. So anyway, all that to say that my kids each now have a Chromebook, which we told them at the beginning belonged to us. This is daddy's Chromebooks. I own four of them. That's right. But you kids can borrow them for school. 
but what it, what's happened now is because they're having their lessons simultaneously, you can't have them all in the same room under your watchful eye. Right? Like, <laughs> there'd just be too much feedback from each teacher just talking and the other kids' Chromebook picking it up. Uh, so uh, now they're in their rooms, or at least three of them are in their rooms using the Chromebooks. And mm. yeah, I have my son telling me things like, oh, uh, dad, you know what? Uh, did you know this particular Pokemon, uh, if you find him in his variant color, uh, he's green and red? And I'm saying, how <laughs> did you know that? Oh, well, I looked it up. Uh, and that's just part of a stream of a long list of things that you know I was curious about, so I looked it up. And I'm like, I do not like the idea that unsupervised, you're deciding to look things up. Uh, <laughs> and you know they're supposed to be in class uh, when they're in their room, but there's quite a lot of time where the teacher is saying, all right, you kids go work on a breakout room. And now my kid's got the internet in front of them, knows how to use it, and nobody watching them. I mean, have you gone to the trouble of setting up parental controls on these devices? Yeah, the, the platform that they use, like the Google Classroom Network, mm -hmm. already limits what you can download and what websites you can access. Uh, okay. But, I mean... Uh, if there's any parent out there who thinks that parental blocks are keeping their kids safe and you can just sit back and relax, like, oh, no, they can do whatever they want on the internet because the parental blocks will take care of that, <laughs> then, uh, then you've got a whole other reason to be anxiety living in your fantasy world of naivete. So, I mean, it seems like dad needs to walk around the house like a drill sergeant, go from room to room. Actually, you know what? Cancel that drill sergeant bit. Actually, you need to wear thick socks and sneak around <laughs> like Spider-Man. <laughs> That's right. A lot of, uh, uh, you know, we do not have a knock-first policy <laughs> when it comes to entering <laughs> the kids' rooms right now. Actually, you know what you need is you need a VPN. You need to be able to see your children's four screens on your one terminal <laughs> at all times. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be like a night watchman, like in the, in the movies, like the dude who's just sitting there watching these four screens. <laughs> There was already an incident uh, in my daughter's, one of my kids' class, where, uh, so there's a chat function where kids can write in the chat during the teacher's mm -hmm. lesson, right? And they're supposed to use it, I guess, to ask questions or that type of thing. But mm -hmm. for whatever reason, the teachers haven't, hadn't disabled it. And so during the lesson, some kid had thought it was funny to just write, write LOL in the chat. And then somebody responded by writing, you know, LOL back three times. And then this escalated. Kids were like, oh, look how hilarious <laughs> it is if I start writing it five times, ten times, cut and paste, and it's 400 times. So this was going on throughout the lesson. And then somewhere in the middle of it, uh, a teacher at that school uh, earlier, in the, earlier in the day, it had sort of, we'd got the message that a teacher had passed away. Right? Uh, mm. One of the older teachers, don't know if it was for COVID-related reasons or not, but a teacher had, had actually died. Um, and so one of the students in the middle of all this put out the comment, hey, did anybody know that uh, this teacher died? Um, so buried in all this LOL is that comment. And then another stream of like somebody pasting LOL 500 times, presumably unrelated to the comment that this teacher died, but it's all in the same thread. Um, right. So anyhow, uh, the teachers at some point realized this. And I don't know if there was initial confusion at first about who was the about whether this LOL thing was in response to a teacher dying or not, uh, right. but man, that caused huge uh, like ripples throughout the, the entire faculty at the, the school. Every parent, uh, I guess, whose kid was in the chat, which is I, I think almost the entire class, gets a message saying, uh, like a form letter saying, "Your child has inappropriately used the internet." 
uh, without any description of what's going on, right? And the thing saying, you know, you're reminded of your child's like poli- the policy on what your ch- on what how to use the internet safely. And then I'm hearing the next day, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the teacher spends about 30 minutes of the class like lecturing the students on, you know, the dangers of using the internet in- inappropriately. And then two more teachers come on after, each talking about the dangers of using the internet inappropriately. <laughs> <laughs> I got one teacher saying, you know, everybody involved, you know, knows who there are, so I'm not going to say any specific names, but, you know, this is how that can be perceived. Uh, and then another teacher comes on later and is saying, this particular student said, uh, did you know the teacher died? And this student knows that they did. <laughs> it's like, wow, okay, we're naming names too. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know what to make of that. It does seem like we are living in an age where you have to be super vigilant as a parent, you know? Like when you and I were growing up, if I want to look something up, I'd have to wait till Saturday when I went to the library. Then I'd dig out this like the world book or like Encyclopedia Britannica for kids and look up the answer to this question 20 years ago. Right? There'd be no up to date information about things like pop culture, quite frankly. When I was in elementary school, if for a project I just handed in what you could now cut and paste from Wikipedia in three minutes, uh, I would have gotten in like an A++. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, LOL, indeed. (laughs) But it just sort of of speaks to this idea of, you know, as it was before, people were already anxious about, uh, you know, the kids' use of the internet to some degree, because we've talked about that in previous episodes of the podcast. But all of a sudden, the... uh, Whatever plans you had for controlling your children's access and use of the internet suddenly went out of the out of the window, mm-hmm. and so now you're trying to scramble to try to figure out like oh, how to keep things safe. And even the teachers, you know, using internet with the kids, and aren't really prepared for all the different problems and stuff that can come up. Some of the teachers are using programs that they have less familiarity with than the students. And it's a tough ask for them. A lot of them aren't super computer savvy. Like the, becoming a teacher was not a, initially a job that you would think that the job requirement was going to be that you were really good at using like software and all this stuff, right? Some teachers are yeah. inherently, just like some physicians are. But some people hate that stuff, right? We're not in IT for a reason. <laughs> right. And suddenly you have to troubleshoot all these things. Here's here's one. Like, what do we? How do you address parents when they ask? What is the future going to be like? Like for you, what do you think the future is going to be like in terms of after the virus settles? Like maybe it's a year or maybe it's a few years from now. Yeah. What do you think our kids are like? What's going to be fundamentally different? Do you think they're going to be wearing masks frequently more than often than before? Like are kids going to be able to stay in school with a runny nose or are they all going to be sent home for a COVID test? Like after each thing, like all these things are unknown, but where do you think? We're going with all this. Yeah, yeah. You know, when people ask me what the future is going to be, I tell them that I, you know, I assume it's going to be flying cars and jetpacks, <laughs> flying cars and jetpacks for all, with an easy, inexpensive conversion from your regular car to your hover car, <laughs> and weather on demand. <laughs> but from a from a COVID point of view specifically, you know, I think we do have to sort of step back sometimes and remind ourselves that yes, it's been a long, long like almost year, hasn't even been a year, but it's been an almost year for most of us that we've had to deal with lockdowns. Uh, And that year feels Mm -hmm. like it's been a decade. But in the grand scheme of things, really, it's only been a year, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, And yes, one year can make a huge difference to the the future. But at the same time, uh, that feeling of, wow, life's never going back to normal. It's going to be masks and hoarding toilet paper and, uh, you know, not being able to hug people. That's, that's the new normal forever. 
you know, I don't, I really don't think that's that's true. I think uh, there's going to be a lot of subtle ways in which things change, and a lot of ways in which things change that we're going to be sort of saying, oh yeah, that's right. You know, before COVID, this was different. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think that most likely the that just the prevalence of the virus is going to settle down one way or another, whether it's between or whether it's because we have massive herd immunity from everybody getting exposed to the virus or whether it's that the vaccine eventually does roll out and we you know incorporate that mm-hmm. into our lives. I think things will settle down. I think our like our our jobs will get busier again as more people start to show up in person. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that'd be my my general take on it. Yeah, I pro- I probably would agree with most of that. Like I feel like we do have an there is the end is in sight. It's hazy and we don't know exactly when it will be. Yeah. But assuming what our understanding of the science is correct, yeah. At some point this thing should take a beating and <laughs> go away. Yeah. Until the next thing comes, right? Yeah. But it doesn't look like you know, sometimes I was thinking about World War II, right? Like as they started fighting, you know, that war goes on for like five or six years. That must have felt like an eternity for people living through that, right? Because it's it's much more visceral than a virus, yeah. right? You're sending your own children off to fight overseas and, you know, there's body counts and countries getting invaded. And, it, and as you enter year two or three or four, I can't even imagine how long that must have felt for people. And for us, you know, nine ten months you're right like i keep saying two years we're not there yet (laughs) right but it does feel long but it could have been so much worse and i think uh, comparable to something like world war ii remember at the time uh when people were going off to war it was you know the people in north america were heading out with a slogan home by christmas right like we've got the power uh, we've got the means we got the strategy we're going to go there we're going to help out we're going to kick some nazi butt we'll wrap this thing up we'll be home by christmas you know <laughs> four years later you know four christmases later people are like oh gosh this lasted longer you know than i was expecting that's that's what happens when you listen to politicians right they're always feeding you this thing just to get you out the door right? right oh don't worry this the lockdown just till the end of march break we're going to extend march break by one week that's all We'll, we'll talk to you next week, right? <laughs> like, yeah, like most people had in their mind that that's not exactly the story, right? Well, I, I remember at Thanksgiving when the, you know, the prime minister of Canada was saying to us, you know, yes, we're going to make some sacrifices for Thanksgiving. You're not going to be able to get together and stuff like that. But, you know, the goal is here that we could we could still enjoy Christmas. And when he said that, I was like, well, home for Christmas, home for Christmas. Oh, no, I know what that means. Four more years. <laughs> I, th- I I think you might have misheard him. He meant to say nobody will be going home for Christmas and your system just like fried itself on the word home. <laughs> I know if we I, I think if you check the news clippings, you'll see that that was the talk at the time was, you know, we're making these sacrifices now in the hopes that it will pay off for Christmas. And then when Christmas mm-hmm. came, it was, you know, you know we, we got to make some sacrifices now. <laughs> but and that is so, part of the anxiety, right? Like I said at the beginning, what Sources of anxiety are not having control and not having certainty about what's happening next. And mm. really, even the situation I'm in now, you know, part of this thing of us being at yet another stage of the tightest lockdown ever, the stay-at-home mm. order, well, part of what that changed for me was they actually did say, okay, kids, nobody can go to school anymore, um, which even when we had sort of been in a tighter lockdown uh, prior to Christmas, it was with this idea that, you know, yeah, we're locking down tighter, but... Kids, we think, can still go to school uh, with mm-hmm. all these you know, restrictions and precautions in place. But now yeah. it's, uh, they can't go to school. 
And so uh, there is that thing of, so when are they going back? Because at the beginning of the month, they said they were, st- you know, it's stay-at-home order and your kids will go back to school January 11th. And then mm-hmm. January 11th came and they said, we're extending it to January 25th. And on, on January 20th, we'll give you an announcement as to whether that's changing. Then January 20th, they came out and they said, okay, yeah, no, the kids still aren't going to school. And yeah, we're not telling you when we're going to make another announcement on that. Now you just sit tight. Yeah, let's just see what happens with Austria and then Hungary. And let's see, let's see what, what happens with these countries. And we'll let you know how long your services will be needed over on the, on the Western Front. <laughs> That's right, exactly. In the meantime, stew in your own juices. <laughs> I mean, it is difficult. Like the, the, un, the level of uncertainty is high. I think it's normal for parents to be anxious. Mm-hmm. And it's compounded by all these little things that we can worry about. Right? Absolutely. And... I think that there is another part of the anxiety thing. I think we should touch on it before we go is what happens when your children are the ones becoming really anxious about the virus. Like I've seen yeah. this a bit in my clinic, nothing super major, but there are kids who are washing their hands like crazy. There are kids who, you know, are afraid to go out and that's not a bad thing necessarily. Yeah. But you know, a lot of people lately, there's been some articles, you know, I think in Las Vegas, they came, they said that, you know, suicide rates, suicide is happening more, suicide attempts are up. There's yeah. this call in the U.S. to reopen schools and let kids go back to school because of this. So there's this movement afoot, yeah. right, to try to return children to something normal. What do you think of that? Well, absolutely. We're seeing more anxiety related problems in children. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, in, in my work in the emergency department, uh, where people in uh, you know mental health crisis will often show up on my doorstep, mm-hmm. we've seen a huge increase in that. And I mean, we already were seeing an increase in mental health-related visits prior to coronavirus, where there's mm-hmm. been a big upshoot in people who, when I look at their chart, they'd never come to us with that before, and mm-hmm. now they're coming in now. But I'd have to say that what I'm seeing for the most part isn't anxiety within the children about the virus itself per se. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not sort of seeing where parents are coming in and saying, yeah, my child is obsessed with the news. They're washing their hands until they bleed all the time. They're scared to do anything. I'm not seeing that as a generalized phenomenon. Uh, I have seen that uh, in the hospital and also just in friends of family where there's somebody in the family who's sick and vulnerable, you know, somebody whose mm-hmm. parent is actually, uh, you know, off for medical reasons uh, and are told, you know, if you get COVID in particular, you we were, we're, particular, we're especially worried for you. And so mm-hmm. the parents, of course, communicate that to the kids when they're trying to explain why you can't do things that you want to do and why you see your friends doing things that are breaking the rules, but we're being more strict on you. And so, mm-hmm. so some of those kids have internalized that a little bit uh, and have had issues where, you know, they're, uh, they're more scared than they need to be. Uh, and always asking, well, is it safe to do that? Is it okay to do that? Because they're afraid that, that something's going to happen to their loved one. But that's not, the, that's not the majority of what I'm seeing. The majority of what I'm seeing are just people who, you know, they already struggled a little bit with anxiety or mental health issues beforehand, but they were managing to more or less keep it, uh, keep it in a sort of an equilibrium. But then mm-hmm. COVID comes, stops them from de- doing any of the things that used to be their coping mechanisms, uh, yeah. has put them in a household where their parents are anxious about all kinds of things, including real stressors like losing jobs and losing income. And then kids absorb that, pick up on that, and then now they're decompensating. So mm-hmm. that, that is actually a bit of a real phenomenon. It's a bit of a pressure cooker that everyone is in now, right? Yeah. Like, like it's, I've, I'm seeing the same type of thing. Like, for a lot of people, I think it's the financial part, right? So 
COVID has really created a lot of financial anxiety for people by yeah. taking away jobs, by putting the job that you do have at risk, yeah. right? Um, increasing your work demands as you work from home. Some people financially who were barely able to make ends meet, suddenly they lose an income in their family or something. Like there's all yeah. sorts of these scenarios. Like I, th there was a day recently where I worked and I looked at my list at the end of the day, I was like, wow, like so many of these cases were mental health, yeah. which isn't super unusual as a family doctor, but so many of them are indirectly a result of the virus. Like if this virus thing didn't happen, they probably wouldn't have called today for this issue. Yeah. Right. And it's crazy to think of it this way, but that the virus has all these secondary effects. I mean, most of us have heard about this, but dealing with it face to face on a regular basis, it's exhausting. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it wears people down. It's funny because like we've kind of been saying a few times, it's not actual concern about getting sick. <laughs> that is the, the mm -hmm. thing that's hitting people the most uh, for a lot of right. the patients we're seeing. Uh, right. It's just how the virus impacts everything else. You know, a yeah. good example was the number of teenagers I've seen coming in with like, a family conflict that really boiled over and exploded to the point where uh, the child was mm -hmm. threatening to hurt themselves or the parent was scared the child was going to hurt somebody. They called the police or yeah. whatnot. They and when you boil down to what the root of the conflict was, it's, well, my child wanted to go and see their boyfriend or their girlfriend who they've been sneaking out to see for the last few weeks. And, you know, we are telling them no. And part of the reason they can't do that is because of COVID. Like you can't mm -hmm. go see your part, your boyfriend, girlfriend because of COVID. And yeah, the kid's not worried at all about catching COVID. Uh, their stressor is that they want to see their girlfriend or boyfriend and their parents won't let them. Mm -hmm. you know, it's not an aspect of, of the lockdown causing problems that I would have predicted uh, like if you'd asked me to list all the things I think are going to happen. So given that we are all part of this Generation C situation now, yeah. and we've basically illustrated over this episode that there's a ton of things for us to be legitimately worried about as a result of this virus, yeah. what on earth is the take-home <laughs> message for parents at the end of this? You know what? We keep making all these analogies to things like World War II or the Spanish flu or these other big disasters in history, uh, which still uh, we have yet to have as many loss of lives from COVID as we have from these type of things. Uh, mm. And what those things have all shown us is that human beings on a fundamental level are actually a resilient species. Mm -hmm. right? And not just in terms of living through viruses, but, you know, bouncing back from disasters and economy recovering right. and all those type of things. On a, on a global population scale, yes, we are a resilient species. But the, there's this whole thing where this idea that the strong survive and the weak are dropped off the food chain. That's also a thing in the human species. <laughs> well, one way or another, when this is all over and the dust settles, those of us that remain will be fine. <laughs> so don't worry so much, people. <laughs> yeah, so get get your kids back in front of the virtual computer and start teaching them some stuff so that they're ready for this new economy when the <laughs> thing starts again in two years. That's right. But yeah, you know, I think maybe some of the, from the point of view we're talking about parents, uh, right? There's the idea of, you know, recognize your own anxieties. We've talked about all of, a lot of the stressors that everyone's going through. Um, so, you know, you know you're not alone in this. You know you're not the only one experiencing this, but also mm -hmm. you got to be a bit in tune with yourself so that you realize if your anxiety is becoming an issue, then, you know, go see Dave and, and get help. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and then for, you know, and then for kids, also we've talked about a lot of the things that are stressors for kids. So be mindful and looking out for signs that your child is becoming more anxious or more withdrawn um, so mm. that it's not like seven more months into it that you realize, oh, they really needed help, but that you can address some of these things beforehand. And addressing mm. it could be, 
even just like opening dialogue with them and talking so that they can express that what their fears are and you can know what's going on in their head that mm-hmm. in and of itself could be quite therapeutic uh, and then if uh, if you really need more help beyond that then there are lots of mental health resources out there that you can you know look towards uh, mm-hmm. including if necessary coming to chio or your local emergency department but a good place to start if people actually want to write down a place to look uh, if you're listening in Ontario, go to e-mentalhealth.ca. That is a great place to start uh, for online resources uh, uh, in terms of tools you can use at home, but also in locating you know, what's uh, available in terms of services I can access in the, in the community. So if you're listening anywhere in the world, you can still Google e-mentalhealth.ca and there'll be a lot of useful resource tools on there. Uh, and if you're living more locally, then it can also help direct you to services that are available. Great. The one thing I'll add is I think what this virus shows is that it's important for all of us to be less rigid, more adaptable, right? Like as the virus comes and you're facing this uncertain future, all of us have forced, have been forced to adapt, right? We're all doing things a little differently than we used to. Yeah. But the people who are more able to do that and who are more, are, you know, quicker at adopting change. Yeah they are in an advantage, right? They can cope with this a little bit better because things are changing quickly, right? Yeah. Rules are changing, expectations are changing. For all of these things, the less rigid you are in your thought processes, the better, right? I, I really think that's a fundamental skill and all of us you know, are on that scale somewhere. We all can be a little less rigid. There's almost nobody that I would look at and say, you know, you need to deal with this virus by becoming more set in your way, <laughs> in your old ways, yes, you know? Right. <laughs> you know what you yeah, need more think... of is not changing more resistance <laughs> to change is going to be what helps you weather this storm well we this is going to go on for a while like the fallout from it right like yeah. like even when the virus ends the economy is going to take a couple of years to start to speed up you know there's a lot of you know you put it metaphoric you put it metaphorically there's a lot of you know storefronts that are going to be looking for new renters right so That's there's right. going to be opportunities out there for people to do business for people to find new roles in a different society it might not be exactly what you'd planned for your whole life yeah. or it might not be what you plan for your children's life or what they plan for their own lives yeah. but there will be opportunities out there and so for us to get to that part it's good to train that part of you that tries to think in a slightly different way. You know, absolutely. If, if anything, this virus has shown us that. So you're saying that you're not set on your kids specifically going to med school anymore. You're now open to them doing <laughs> other things. <laughs> absolutely. I've never been set on that. Medical school is like a miserable experience for many people. I do not encourage it for people in general, unless they really want to be there. <laughs> yeah. Or unless their parents really want them to be there. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, throughout all this, medicine is actually a relatively stable job, right? People are still getting sick and doctors still still are needed. So, Yes. Um, it, it, yeah, we have that to be thankful for. We've talked about this before on the show. <laughs> that's right. All right. Well, so hopefully hearing us talk has left people's anxiety needle uh, uh, at least not any further in the red than it was when we started. <laughs> If not, well, the apocalypse is coming anyway. And hey, look, if you're really ramped up, then you can go back to listen to any one of our pre-COVID uh, topics or podcasts <laughs> on, a, on an issue that was much lighter. Yes, you, we can continue to live in the past. <laughs> go back and listen to Dad's Cooking, part one, or, uh, or the diarrhea episode. <laughs> All right. Have a good week, folks.
Bye, everyone.